You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. You know, you hear that ad at the beginning of the show for Cork and Carey at the park. They are like the one constant over at the ballpark. Consistently good food. Consistently a huge array of beers. Craft beers, the ones you love. Consistently good prices. Consistently good crowd. Every time I go there pregame and feed the family, I have a good time. Every time I go there postgame to hang out afterwards, win or lose, hanging out with White Sox fans, having a beer... I have a good time. They're in the shadow of the ballpark, 33rd in Princeton, the proud sponsors of the podcast for fans, by fans, Cork and Carry at the park. See more at CorkandCarry.com. We're not even getting consistent coverage of the White Sox because The Athletic decided that there are 20 beats in all of major sportsdom, football, basketball, baseball, hockey, that don't need to be covered anymore. And one of those 20 beats is the Chicago White Sox. Our good friend James Fegan, who's been on the show so many times without a job this morning, he has been consistently one of the best covering this team. He asked questions of Tony LaRusso when nobody else wanted to ask them. He has held their feet to the fire so many times, and I really hope that the rest of the guys covering that team, and I'm sure they will, will pick up the slack now that James isn't going to be there. I mean, that is not to talk bad about anybody who's covering that team. It's just he was so good at what he did. People always ask me, why did we call it Socks in the Basement? Well, one, we're doing it in my basement at a nine-foot homemade oak bar. Two, the team is consistently in the basement. Three, you should see the amount of socks that are mismatched sitting down here on my floor in my laundry room. That actually kind of influenced my decision on the name. But it's also how the team is treated, how the fan base is treated. Think about this. The Athletics said most beats are important, but not the White Sox. That's why the independent podcasts do so well with the White Sox. That's why the independent blogs do so well. That's why there will always be a podcast for fans by fans, and we'll bring in guys like the Sox nerd right now. difference a week makes. Last week, I couldn't shut up about the Sox and the afterglow of Jake Berger's walk-off Grand Slam. This week, I don't want to talk about them at all after a pair of train wrecks over the weekend, but we forge on. If the implosions on Saturday and Sunday taught us one thing, it's just how difficult it is to record out number 27. I mean, how good do Liam Hendricks, Roberto Hernandez, and Bobby's Big Pen and Jenks look right now? Heck, even Matt Karchner, who once converted a Sox record 20 consecutive saves, looks good right now. Ah, saves. Our old friend Ed Farmer was right. There are no easy saves. Farmer should know. He was the first White Sox pitcher to log 30 saves in a season. That came in his all-star campaign of 1980. Some other interesting nuggets on Sox saves. Bob Locker earned the Sox first official save. The stat was adopted in 1969 thanks to the efforts of legendary Chicago sports writer Jerome Holtzman. On April 14, 1969, Locker notched Sox save number one with two shutout innings in a 4-3 win in Anaheim. The winner that day was pre-surgery Tommy John. 
The last left-hander to lead the White Sox in saves was Dave Hamilton with 10 in 1976. You probably could win a few beers with that one. The Sox pitcher with the most saves without a blown save is Randy Scarberry, a right-hander from Fresno State. Scarberry converted all six of his saves for the Sox in 1979 and 1980. Now, the pitcher with the most blown saves without a save in Sox history is Evan Marshall, whom I once jinxed so badly on the scoreboard. Marshall failed to convert any of his 11 save chances with the Sox from 2019 to 2021. As for that jinx, on June 4th, 2021, Marshall was facing Baltimore's Jonathan Scope, and I flashed on the scoreboard that Marshall was, quote, holding Scope hitless in nine at-bats with three strikeouts. I aired the stat, and as I was eyeballing it on the board, I picked up the flight of the ball off Scope's bat and followed it as it cleared the left field wall. A few more nuggets on Sox saves. The last Sox pitcher to notch 40 saves in a season. How about Addison Reed in 2013? In any era, Hall of Famer Hoyt Wilhelm at age 46 was the oldest Sox pitcher to convert a save in 1968. Terry Forster, whom David Letterman once referred to as, quote, a fat tub of goo, <laughs> is the Sox's youngest pitcher to earn a save. The stout Southpaw recorded his first big league save as a 19-year-old fireballer for the 1971 Sox. Now for my zinger. I was mesmerized by the 156-pitch performance of Stanford's Quinn Matthews in an NCAA Super Regional game on Sunday night. That got me to thinking, when was the last time the Sox had any kind of outing resembling that kind of output? How about 154 pitches in a seven-inning stint by Jack McDowell on September 14, 1990? That's it, Chris. Sign me Sox nerd in search of some relief. I'm telling you, I had so much hope after they took two out of three from the Yankees. I actually thought after they won that first game of the doubleheader and they were going for the sweep, they were going to do it. They were going to prove me wrong when I said this was going to be such a tough month and it would be impossible for them to win as many games they needed to to get back into this thing. Then they take the first game from the Marlins on a walk-off and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, it's happening. And then they become the White Sox again. Like, I want to believe, but it's getting hard to believe that they can be consistent. And it's definitely hard to believe they're going to win more games than they lose the rest of the way if they're going to play like that. Doesn't seem like it, does it? I mean, they, they just, they get in a very White Sox way. They get some momentum going and then it starts to fall apart, right? They get Liam Hendricks back and the bullpen seems to settle into their roles and then Liam's elbow goes a little wonky and, and he's got to go on the IL and they go right back to having ninth inning problems. They seem to put together some offense, and then all of a sudden they run into some pitchers that they can't solve, and they're being outscored, you know, in a fairly decent clip, or you know, they're not putting together good at bats, and and you just have this team just not showing that they can throw good pitching and good hitting and good defense together for an extended period of time, meaning like a twenty game set, which is what they need now. We're beyond the point of like. Hey, if they just rattle off like an eight and two run on a 10 game stand, they'll be right back in this thing. I mean, yeah, I know standings, whatnot, but really you need to put it together for 20 games because you can't have that 10 games of good play and then drop five games of, of poor play and, and go under 500 there and then try and do that again. It's not really going to work. They need to do something really long and broad and sustained. And I don't know if, I don't know if they have the guys to do it. And I don't know if they have the time left to do anything really meaningful before you got to start making decisions. Forget about what we think about this team. We've talked about it a lot on Socks in the Basement. 
folks can hit us up on the social media. They can go to SoxandBasement.com and use the contact form, or they can leave us a voice message. There's a little microphone button. You'll see it on the screen when you go to SoxandTheBasement.com. This one was left right after the Marlins series. Hey, Sox in the Basement, guys. I feel absolutely refreshed. Um, After that Miami series, I had given the White Sox until June the 15th to be about five to six games under 500 and start to make a run. Um, after that series, there's no way they're going to make it, and I am no longer going to be watching these clowns. But just to throw the spotlight, uh, Yohan Moncada, nine for 62. Usually teams that are in the hunt, they send guys like that down in order to get their head screwed back on. But really the reason for this call is watching the Miami game yesterday that the Sox blew the lead uh, twice in the eighth inning and the ninth inning was when you're up a run, you play no doubles. You play to guard the Lions late in the game. Why Mancata was so far off the line makes no sense. But worse than that is where's Pedro? Where's Charlie to say, what the hell is he doing? Thanks for listening. You know, it is interesting because we were sold that Pedro was going to be this guy that was going to have the team prepared and, and, and not just prepared to, to mentally go out and play and, and be up for the games. Cause that was part of it, right? That was part of the criticism under Tony LaRusso was that the team walked out and just looked like they weren't necessarily ready or interested to play a baseball game. But we were, we were told that Pedro was going to be a manager that was going to be ready and have the players in the right position have them situationally aware. And the White Sox continue to feel like they're not always situationally aware. And you can excuse sometimes at the plate, you sit there and go, okay, I can see a guy trying to move a runner over, but he's not executing. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being, like you said, in in a defensive alignment that makes sense, understanding where the ball is going to go. And this is something that the team, these players – are still not really used to because this is the same, largely the same group that was getting criticized a couple of years ago in the playoffs against the Astros for not being where Aaron Bummer was going to basically have the ball come off the bat, you know, for a guy that's a ground ball pitcher. So yeah, you know, we, we are, I think entitled to start looking a little bit at is Pedro learning on the job? Is he, is he prepared? Does he have the level of preparation? More to the point, are the players buying into him? Because if the players are starting to tune him out, then it is a team-wide thing. And one of the things that I've always worried about with this team, though, too, is that it doesn't matter who's in the dugout as the manager, that this is a group that has been sold their own greatness so much that it's a lot of like when your kids, you tell them to do something and you tell them to do it right, and they go, yeah, 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 Dad, I heard you, I heard you, I'll do it, don't worry about it. And then they either A, don't do it, or B, they do it in such a half-assed manner that you sit there and go, what, what was the point of the attempt? Even like why 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 why'd you go there? Why why is the garbage taken out, but it's it's dragged across the floor in such a way that you've left a trail from here to the curb? <laughs> I've had those conversations before. For those that have asked, and I appreciate everybody who has reached out, uh, the back is improving steadily. It's going to take some time. They were doing physical therapy this past weekend on me after my injury something called dry needle therapy where they just stick a needle into your muscle far enough until you just start trembling 
and screaming. There was a little bit of screaming, I have to admit. But man, the prescription drugs are great. The other thing that I had at my disposal was high-at-home medical equipment because they're right up the street from my house. Big, beautiful showroom, and they've got everything. Not only do they help you keep mom and dad, grandma and grandpa out of assisted living, they can help you after you've had an injury or a surgery. You want to get around, live independently. Stair lifts, ramps, grab bars, lift chairs, and even bathroom remodeling available. Let's say you need a cane because you can't get around. I've been there recently. Pick out exactly what you need. They work with your insurance. They have 0% financing for qualified individuals. And if you mention socks in the basement, you get an additional discount. Learn all about what they have to offer at hhme.com. Stop in and see them today, 3518 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park. Joining me on the phone line right now, Daniel Victor. He is with Prospects 1500 and also White Sox Daily. He's down there in North Carolina and he's visiting White Sox Minor League Baseball. He's watching it with his own two eyes and he's here on the line to talk about what's going on in the minor leagues. How are you, Daniel? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about our guys. What team do you watch the most down there? Is it Charlotte? Uh, no, actually, I watched the Canapolis Cannonballers. They were rebranded with the new stadium a couple of years back. But I watched them the majority of time. And then the uh, secondary would be the uh, Charlotte Knights and then Winston-Salem. How do you feel the state of the White Sox minor league system is right now? Uh, we're a bottom third system right now, probably even lower than that. I thought we were a little bit higher, but, I mean, it's been kind of a down year this season because, well, our number one uh, prospect, Colson Montgomery, hasn't had an at-bat this season. Uh, Brian Ramos just got to his assignment, so he's hardly played at all this year. Uh, Sean Burke got hurt in his uh, major league appearance in spring training, and uh, you know he's been playing catch-up. Jose Rodriguez has missed some time. Uh, Norhe Vera, I think he got hurt in his first start of the season, and he's been back at the, uh, at the Complex League. So we're talking about a lot of our top ten guys have been uh, – Miss significant time. So I'd say we're a, we're a bottom third team, but I feel like they really killed it on the 2022 draft. That's very promising. All right. So what stands out to you with the 2022 guys? Because I, I'm sure you're, you're observing some of them right now. Who sticks out to you? They nailed it with the first three picks. Noah Schultz made his debut uh, last week on Friday, and he looks like a man among boys, even though he is a boy amongst men because he is – 19 years old, playing in full-season baseball for the first time. But he made his debut, and boy, he looks unbelievable. He came out, he had a very uh, low pitch limit. He was allowed 35 pitches or two innings. You know, you figure your first time out, you know, facing minor league hitters and a full-season assignment. He gets out there, knocks out the two innings and 29 pitches, throws 22 of them for strikes, strikes out five guys allowed a weak double that was basically a, a ground ball. And then uh, the other guy that made contact hit a slow roller. It was almost a swinging bunt. So he looked fantastic. The second time out, he went, uh, got his two innings and 29 pitches as well. Uh, he has not walked a hitter. He struck out six of his 12 outs. He's throwing his fastball 95 to 97. The second time out, he was more 95. And his slider is un- unbelievable. Changeup is also gross. So he's got a, a world of potential, and he's just scratching the surface. Anybody down there that we should know about? Uh, there's a kid in low A right now named Jacob Burke. Um, I tweeted something about him today. 
He looks like you uh, opened up MLB The Show and uh, did the create a player and slid all the sliders as far to the right as they could go. I mean, he's a build straight out of central casting. I read something on Twitter the other day. Someone said that he looks like a Disney prince. He really, he really does. But yeah, he's jacked and he's hitting the cover off the ball in Canapolis. I think he's hitting in the 340 range right now. But he looks built for power, play center field, athletic as hell. I think he has a chance to go to go a long way. Daniel Victor, our guest today, he covers an awful lot of White Sox minor league baseball, and he also writes for Prospects 1500, and he's brought to you, like every guest, by the village of Lamont, want to experience a downtown with real history, great eats and drinks, and green spaces filled with adventure. Visit the village of Lamont, shop, dine, drink, explore, and check out their Father's Day barbecue competition and festival. Learn about that and more at LamontDowntown.com. Take me through what it's like right now in the minor league experience. You're going along, you're you're checking out these these different ballparks, you're you're watching these players. How often do you sit there and think to yourself, this guy's good, but would he be able to play in the other stadium I was just at? Like I you, you say you go and check him out over in Charlotte. Is that what you're doing? Are you watching the Canapolis team and then thinking to yourself, is this guy good enough to play at that level? That's always what I'm thinking. Um, I'm always trying to think about where they're going to go next, how they're going to do, what they're going to, what, how they're going to respond to the, you know, the advanced competition. I mean, you got to when you think about it and put everything in perspective. Remember, there's about 175 kids in the White Sox minor league organization at any given time, and of those 175, about 15% will ever even get a cup of coffee. So we're talking, you know, less than 30 guys are ever even going to get a cup of coffee. And out of those 30 guys that do make it, 10% of them have a chance of having a 10-year career just by the law of averages throughout the history of baseball. So we're talking there might be three guys currently, if everything played according to Hoyle, you got three guys that have, you know, a 10% chance of having a 10-year career. So, I mean, the odds are against every one of them. So I try to talk about, you know, the guys that I think have a significant chance to at least get there. And then, you know, judging by how they do when they get there, you see how long that career goes. The White Sox seem to be indicating that as long as they're close, no matter how bad this record is, they're going to be buyers. I'm in shock over it. I think most White Sox fans are in shock over it, but I get it because they got to put all their chips in the middle after the last couple of years and with what's going to happen in 2024 with some of these contracts. So if they're going to be buyers, is there anything down there that you're looking at that you're like, trade this? Is there anybody down there that you're you're afraid they're going to get rid of. That's a tough one because, uh, you know, right now with Colson having not had it bad, I don't know where, I mean, people would obviously still want him, um, but, you know, you always want to trade at the top of a guy's arc and you don't want to trade when they're, when they're low. And at the same time, you know, uh, you don't want to um, put all your eggs in one basket and trade for Craig Kimbrell and have him implode down the stretch for your team. It seems like, uh, when the Sox have made decisions to trade in the past, it seems like uh, they traded for the wrong guys and filled the wrong holes. Daniel, before I let you go, uh, if I'm down in the Carolinas, and I've gone through there a couple times over the last few years, and I keep I keep telling myself I want to stop in and see a minor league game, uh, tell me which one I should go see. Is there a ballpark? Is there an experience that you like more than the other ones down there? I got to tell you that the White Sox have top-notch facilities at every level. Um, 
Kannapolis put the new ballpark in, and it's, this is the third season. And uh, that ballpark is fantastic. It's a, it's a major league experience in low A. Uh, Winston-Salem also has a very nice ballpark and good facility. And Charlotte has the most beautiful backdrop in minor league baseball, as far as I'm concerned, with the Charlotte skyline in the, in the outfield. They're really top-notch. They're also within an hour and a half circle of each other, so you can go see all three of them if you look at the right point in the schedule. There we go. There's a road trip idea right there. The Carolinas and uh, bounce around and see uh, multiple White Sox minor league systems and try to search for the talent hidden somewhere down there in the minor leagues. Daniel Victor, again with Prospects 1500 and also White Sox Daily. I appreciate you jumping on Sox in the basement. Thanks, man. I appreciate uh, you having me on. The official brewery of Sox in the Basement is Hailstorm Brewing out in Tinley Park, and they have a scratch kitchen there that is now open for lunch. It's open in the evening as well, but you got to get over there for lunch starting at 11 a.m. Tuesday through Sunday. The smoked wings are so good they've already appeared on Chicago's Best. The flatbreads are incredible. The blackened chicken flatbread, one of my favorites. The chipotle steak flatbread. Mmm! and make sure you check out the grilled cheese with roast beef. Then kick back some of their great beers. Dominatrix is back. The triple IPA at 11%. They're one of the only places I can find an ESB. Pub Life is back. And Multiball Madness. Only 5.2%, but it tastes like one of those strong pale ales. Tap Room Beer Hall Working Brewery. It's got everything, including a great patio and live entertainment on the weekends. Get out there. 8060 186th Street, right off of 80th Avenue. See more at hailstormbrewing.com. I've seen this, and I don't know where it started. I want to say maybe on Bleacher Report or somewhere, but there's there's a, a, a tweet going around with a picture of Tim Anderson. It says, who says no? And it's a trade from him. For, you're trading him to the Dodgers for three of their top 20 prospects. And I'm looking at this, and I'm going, who says no? Well, I, for one, would say no, and it's not because I love Tim Anderson so much, or I don't think that you should trade him, although he's at his lowest value to trade him right now. You should have traded him in the offseason. I'm saying no because the three guys coming back might be highly rated prospects in the Dodgers system, but they're not ready to be here in the majors. They're not finished products, which means that the White Sox will have a chance to ruin them and or just hope that their talent alone gets them here because that's what they did with Yohan Moncada. They brought him up, and they've just hoped that his talent that made him the number one overall prospect in baseball would carry him through a major league career, and they haven't got him to go to anything resembling a next level or even a first level, frankly, in the major leagues. When you when you look at the proposals, and I've seen a bunch of them, I saw one today, Anderson to the Mets, who says no. And I want to say that they included Robert in there for like three prospects. Brett Batty was in there as one of them. But I mean, like, no, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking to myself, like, first of all, I'm not trading away Luis Robert. He may drive me nuts and he may be streaky. He's also one of the best players on your team. You're not you're not dealing him away. That's absolutely insane. Not, and not as an add in. You're not dealing no. him in T.A. unless you're getting back an entire team in return. Like you want to trade those two guys. Bring me back. You know, five young, controllable major league players. Yeah, but I don't want that because at that point now what you've done is you've just wasted my time. Like nobody's ever walking back into the stadium again unless they're just going there for the fun of drinking beer with their friends and having a baseball go- baseball game go on in the background if they start another rebuild by 
by trading away Luis Robert. That would be absolutely insane. Like, you know, who, who's buying season tickets at that point? Who, who's saying, like, I want to invest in this team because of what they did over the last couple of years? Well, well, well no one. And, and that's why I'm saying, like, what you, you the, the ridiculousness of the haul. I'm not, you don't bring back prospects for Luis Robert. You trade Luis Robert and you're pulling back, like, half of these young Cincinnati Reds that are knocking the ball all over the park, Right. Like, like that's what you're bringing back. The guys that are on the major league roster that are here that start right now, and you can sit there and start selling Spencer Steer jerseys too. Okay, <laughs> but you're not you're not you're not sending Luis Robert to the Mets for Brett Batty, who is a a, a prospect that who has yet to show that he could be anything. He's he's just yeah. a, he's just a name. When when you talk about the guy, the their catcher Kevin Parada, I think that's how you say it, Parada. Until you make it to the majors, I'm not learning your name. When you look him up, because I, I was looking him up in, in fantasy baseball this week, I was like, oh, do I need another catcher prospect? He's actually having a bad second year in the minors. Development isn't linear. I don't want to have to sit around and wait three years for anybody. I do find it funny that people want to want to deal Tim Anderson now, though. I think that's I think it's a hyster- It's hysterical to me that people want to trade Tim Anderson now at his absolute lowest when he's been exposed for what we said that his flaw was for years on this show. I like T.A. T.A. has been our shortstop. I'm not in a hurry to trade Tim Anderson. But one of the things that has been a criticism, at least of mine, and I'm pretty sure you've echoed it, but I know I've criticized this, is that if it weren't for the hitting skill at the top of the order and the way that he was able to hit for a high average and be a spark, you would be annoyed by his defense, which is average at best. And when he's not hitting, that becomes something that gets exposed because now you're paying more attention to his miscues. If he makes the error that he made in that Miami game, but earlier in the game, he hit a home run and had another big hit later on with men all over the bases, his error wouldn't have caused the demise of the team because they would have scored more. And you would forgive a miscue by this guy because he was hitting 320. But now that he's not hitting, you're seeing what I think has been obvious to anybody that's really paying attention to his defense. He's not a high-end defensive shortstop. He has a hole in his game. It's his defense. I know he insists on always being a shortstop, and in the offseason there was all this discussion of, well, maybe you move him, and it was like, no, you can't move him. You don't want to move. He's a shortstop. And I get that he's got a lot of accomplishments. I understand that. But you can't sit there and tell me he's a high-end defensive shortstop. There's plenty of shortstops in this league that are better than him. In fact, you could sub in Elvis Andros late in the game for Tim Anderson as a defensive replacement, and I would totally understand it. Tim wouldn't, but I would totally understand it. So, like, you know, now all of a sudden you want to move the guy. The time to move him was in the offseason. Because, as we said in the offseason— you're either playing for this year, all your cards in, and in that case, you've got to go out in the free agency and make a splash, and you've got a bunch of stuff you have to add, or it's time to maybe think of moving a guy like Tim because you're looking at 2025 because there's this big drop-off in 24 with all these contracts and all these ifs and all these maybes. And what we found is the White Sox didn't push all their cards in. They just tried the hope that a new manager would would see Rick Hahn's vision and that he was right all along when he wasn't. And now you did it halfway and now it's too late to make it to get the most that you would get out of Tim Anderson. You're still faced with a 24 with 
so many question marks, more for next year than you had going into this year. And you in no way have capitalized on the fact that you could have at least built around a core to rebound back in 2025. You know what I'm saying? Like they, they couldn't pick a direction. Again, this is why you can't have these guys in charge. They can't pick a direction and go in it. They don't commit. They, 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 they're halfway on everything. And that's why you're mired in mediocrity. Well, and again, to your point about Tim Anderson's defense and something that's been a criticism, it's not just you, it's not just me. It's, you know, you, you heard the announcers for the Cleveland Indians, their, their play-by-play guys are sitting there saying that he's not a very good defensive shortstop, and people bristled at that because who, who are the Guardians broadcasters to say anything bad about one of our players? Well, honestly, I've seen Anderson have that same error repeatedly this year where he has charged in on a ball, trying to come home with it, and it's gone under his glove. It, it, it's, it's not been something that that is new, right? It's not that he did it one time and we're, we're picking on him. He's had problems and, and he's not hitting as well. So are the Dodgers going to take that into account if they sit there and go, we could use an upgraded shortstop for the, for the, the run this year and, and into next year? Yeah, they're going to sit there and think about what's his defense, what's the offense, how does he play within our lineup, is he going to do well here? So the value is relative too. So when you're when you're sitting out there and you're looking at trading TA to the Mets, trading TA to the Dodgers, insert team that needs a shortstop here. Just remember, who says no? Well, the other team might, okay, at this point, because they may look at it and go, we're not sure we're getting the Tim Anderson that you think you're giving up because we're not getting 2018 Tim Anderson. We're not getting 2021 Tim Anderson. We're getting the TA that's there right now and he's having a down year. There's just no two ways about it. It doesn't mean he can't have a great second half and turn back into to you know the guy that we all remember, the guy that's just this outstanding amazing hitter whose defense you sit there and like you said, you just sit there and go, yeah, he made a couple of errors, but geez, he was 4 for 4 with two doubles and four runs scored earlier in the game. So what are you going to do? You know, yeah, put up the the, the D. I, I just I don't I don't see there being Anybody on this team right now, short of the one guy that I'm, I'm amazed more people aren't talking about, the White Sox attempting to trade, whether they're buyers or sellers, and that's Lucas Giolito, who's back-to-back two really, really good starts. Oh, man. I mean, you know, this isn't this always the way a guy at the end, before he's going to become a free agent, has a spectacular year? You know, you knew it was coming, right? I mean, you knew he was going to go out there and do incredible things. And, and what's crazy is that you can't capitalize on it, right? Like when you looked at all the questions at the beginning of the year and you sat there and said, you know, what do we need to, to go right? One of the things you were kind of hoping was he's in a contract year. Maybe he's more focused. Maybe he comes back and, and, and he doesn't like, you know, he doesn't do something silly like try to build muscle and, and, and do his own offseason program because now there isn't a lockout to get in the way. And, and he's, he's focused and he's looking at that money. And he's always been one of these guys looking at like going out there and getting his max value. They haven't been able to capitalize it. They, they haven't been able to do it. And again, it's because of the way that they've structured everything, Ed. I want to I leave on this thought. I know the bullpen has been fairly good this year. It's had its moments. It's also had its moments where it's not very good. The, the issue I have with this bullpen is, is that it has to be basically perfect. It has to be shut down perfect as a bullpen for the money you spent on it. And that's my criticism of what happened in the Marlins series. Your bullpen cost you $40.8 million this year. I want you to compare that to the Texas Rangers, 
who spent $15 million more in overall salary than the White Sox and only spent $14 million in total on their bullpen this year. And they're in first place. The the misallocation of funds, we needed another starting pitcher in there, and it wasn't Mike Clevenger this year. We needed to go bigger on what we were doing. We couldn't afford it because of the money you put into the bullpen. The, The allocation of what you did with your resources put you in this spot right here. And yet the same people continue to get to make the decisions, even though they haven't made a good one in a decade and a half. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.